Hello and welcome to the Political Notebook Podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, an editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. And it's late September. Election season is heating up. It's just around the corner. Early ballots go out in a couple weeks here in Arizona, and November is just around the corner. And even if you don't pay attention to politics very closely, you probably know that. The streets are filling up with street signs. Can't watch TV for probably five minutes without seeing some commercials. Uh, and now with digital media, you've got it on your phones, YouTube, uh, hear it on the radio, campaign ads. Uh, there's mailers that are showing up in your mailbox, people posting things on social media. So we're, today we're going to be talking about messaging, advertising, and how it's shaping up in some of the important races here in Arizona. And some listeners might know this, some might not, but Dad used to work in public relations. He did this for a living, controlling messages and designing commercials. Yes, and, I, I, was, <laughs> I was once a practitioner of the dark arts of political consulting. And did you work, uh, what kind of work did you take on? Was it just issues and uh, propositions, or did you also help out with or consult with candidates? Um. It was primarily issues management for corporations. In terms of elections, I did quite a bit of ballot measure work and a very little uh, candidate work for selective candidates, although I did um, advise uh, more informally um, a variety of different candidates. And in terms of messaging, uh, is there any general campaign principles that you can apply either to initiatives or, or candidates? Are there rules that are guidelines to follow, or does it all depend, does the strategy all depend on the specific race and the specific context that you're dealing with? In, in candidate races, there used to be a formula um, in which you were attempting simultaneously to create an uh, image of yourself and an image of your appoint, opponent, while at the same time, your opponent was trying to do the reverse. These days, um, oftentimes, candidates seem to be skipping the part about creating a image of yourself, and uh, certainly the proportion of advertising that is spent on negative attacks, as opposed to promoting yourself and your own views and your background and experience, um, has altered drastically. Now, part of that is the rise of independent expenditure campaigns. Um, if candidates have tilted somewhat more towards the negative, independent expenditure campaigns have become more of the advertising that you see, and they overwhelmingly lean towards the negative. And what effect do you think that has on the actual elections and how people vote? Do you think the lack of framing a positive image of a candidate you think that's less likely to turn out voters, or um, what, what's what's missing from a from a campaign perspective if that if that message is, is not being gone if it's just negative for the other side? Um, certainly, political consultants believe that uh, negative attacks motivate voters more than uh, positive messages. You can tell that the proof of that is in the mix that occurs. Uh, I believe candidates generally and independent expenditure campaigns that support candidates are uh, 
missing the need uh, to create it, a positive palette in order to make the negative attacks stick. Um, the credibility of the messenger is obviously part of what voters weigh. And if you haven't established a positive palette for the candidate that you prefer or the candidate if it is your own advertising, uh, I think it makes the effectiveness of the negative ads uh, less. That's all you're seeing. You're kind of overwhelmed, bombarded. And I, I feel like a lot of people have that feeling now because we're getting hit so hard here in Arizona with negative ads in the Senate race and the, in the uh, gubernatorial race. Do you think that... So all these independent expenditures you talked about mostly go negative. Is there any... I know they're not at all allowed to coordinate or, or advise. But is there anything that candidates can do when they're running to, to, to say, hey, look, I don't, I don't want this kind of ad being played, or I'd prefer if you did that. Do, do they do that at all? or that? Very rarely. And, and there's even a legal question of whether publicly stating, I would rather these kind of ads not run, is an act of coordination. I don't think it is, um, but there are um, sober lawyers uh, who um, believe that that might be a problem. I, I do believe that if a candidate was willing to denounce a specific ad uh, run by an independent expenditure campaign on his or her behalf, that would have a chilling effect, and I, I do think the candidates could police this better. But in reality, even though proportionality, they're not as negative as the independent expenditure campaigns, they are still overwhelmingly negative. So it's not as though there are negative attacks addressed at, at a candidate's opponents that even if candidates think are sort of over the top, there's not much of a motivation or a desire or an inclination to call foul. It's, it's, it's made the um, public space pretty foul. Uh, and um, I do believe that it adds to the overall cynicism about politics and the lack of confidence in our institutions. Um, but uh, I don't think candidate. well, I do believe candidates would benefit from stressing the positive more, and I think independent expenditure campaigns would benefit, but certainly that isn't perceived by them based upon what we're seeing. And you wrote a column about the, the Senate race, uh, Martha McSally versus Kirsten Cinema, and you wrote, you kind of debunked both of the negative ads and saying they're, they're over the top, and your, your takeaway from that was that both of these senators would be fairly moderate and very effective representatives of Arizona. This is probably the best illustration in, in the current election cycle of the disconnect between the advertising messaging and the reality of the choice facing Arizona voters. Uh, because um, it is the case, I believe, that both Martha McSally and Kirsten Cinema would be potentially very effective senators um, for Arizona. 
Uh, and both of them have demonstrated a pragmatism, particularly on votes to keep the government open, which I think is sort of a litmus test. Um, both of them have voted overwhelmingly to keep uh, the government open. Uh, neither one, and, and the extremes on both sides have voted against budget bills like that. So I really think it is a choice between a highly qualified person of the center right, Martha McSally, and a highly qualified person of the left, uh, Kirsten Sinema. Um, so this should be um, a good feeling. I mean, this is something our, our yeah. politics have have thrown up two candidates, both of whom would be effective senators, both of whom are pragmatic. Uh, there are ideological differences, so people can choose uh, the direction that they want for the country. Um, but um, it isn't a choice between evil and evil, which is the representation we get from the advertising campaigns that are being conducted in that race. Yeah, and... Um I think it does have a chilling effect. I mean, you look at look at younger people that might be, you know, they some of the things sometimes young people might that might be the only thing they see are these are these negative ads. And even it seems like the ads are like talking to each other now. Cinema's ads will be responding to it, <laughs> to the ads, but then also you're saying that's an example of why this person is corrupt liar and and. Uh, so I wish they would be more more positive. Are we going to see that? Maybe the only time we'll see them defending in a positive way uh, more fully their records is in the debates. Do you anticipate them being more positive themselves when they're in the debates that, that people are tuning into, or are they going to buy into the, the mudslinging even, even there? The consultants will tell the candidates, ignore the questions, hear your attack lines, make sure you get them across forcefully. Now, it will be most interesting uh, to watch Kirsten Cinema in that context because uh, she has practiced what I've called um, cheerful politics. Um, she, through her political career, uh, has not engaged in demonizing um, an opponent. Uh, I think that she is misrepresenting McSally's positions on health care in this election. Uh, but that's <laughs> standard fare. I mean, that, that you're, you're going to get that. But, but by and large, and, and it's been, I think, part of her appeal is, is, her, is the cheerful politics that she practices. Um, so her demeanor in the, de in the debate, I think, will be interesting. McSally, I think, will be on the attack. She's a combat pilot. It's sort of the way she is, uh, and uh, I think the perception of her campaign is is that she has to drive uh, cinema's um, negatives. But it it will be an interesting challenge for cinema, and one of the and it's also a, a challenge for whoever moderates the debate because the moderator tries to pull them beyond the talking points right. that that they've been fed by their consultants. Is there any for that race? You know, one of the, one of the problems is you can't, you can't put a positive spin on with all these ads. What, like do either of them, it's a pretty close race in the polls. I think cinema has a little bit of a, a lead in most of the, of the polls we've, we've seen, but not a huge lead. 
is there any messaging changes or, or, or strong messages that you think would be effective that are not being put uh, on for either side? Or, or is, is, is one side more than the other in need of a, of a change in, in message? Or? Um, I, I think the McSally campaign needs to broaden its messaging. Um, she has a compelling life story as the first uh, com- female combat uh, pilot to see combat. Um, she's been effective in getting things done uh, in Congress. Um, and I think she has to deal not only with the old cinema, who was a radical leftist, uh, but the cinema that was in Congress has been there for six years. Um, so I think, I think she both needs to do a better job of telling her positive story, uh, but also broaden uh, her contrast with cinema to include her tenure in Congress and not just her past as a uh, radical activist. For for, but for cinema though, is it is it is it about rejecting that activism or is it about because um, I mean the uh, protesting the war. In Iraq, is is uh, I'm not sure if she was actually protesting the, the war in Iraq or the war in Afghanistan. It, it as she, she the, the the images that you see are from a protest against the war in Iraq. So if but, anyone hasn't but, seen it, I'm sure everyone has. But uh, there's a there's a contrasting ad where Martha McSally is dressed up in her uh, fight suit, and then and then contrast that to to cinema wearing a pink outfit. Protesting, but but cinema has said that she's opposed war since nine eleven, so that would include uh, the war in Afghanistan. So I I, I think McSally's attacks um, are sound, uh, but there is a an additional cinema, the the centrist cinema that that has served for. Um, Six years. So she'd probably be best uh, just not even bringing up that and, and saying I've 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 been my record is a, a centrist versus like hey these wars were terrible I you know we're still in Afghanistan 19 years later we shouldn't be and the Iraq war was a mistake and I was against it. I, I had a discussion recently. A, a, a um, national correspondent uh, called me to talk about this race, and and he thought uh, that. Cinema has a compelling story to tell about her transformation from a radical leftist into a pragmatic centrist um, and ought to be making that case. I think that's sort of dangerous um, for her to do. Uh, I think generally, until McSally makes it stick, to the point that she has to explain her radical past. I think she strategically is better off from her standpoint doing what she's doing, which is projecting an image of a independent centrist that, uh, I mean, she's running basically a nonpartisan campaign. You'll never see anything that cinema puts out uh, that labels her as a Democrat. I mean, you'll see it. She's labeling herself as an independent. And I, th- I think that's her, her best strategy, although it raises the question, and it's 
Maybe I, maybe that that strategy should be consistent since she's in the lead. Um, sometimes you need to anticipate things are going because by the time the negative image sticks, it may be too well rooted uh, for you to combat. So she will have to decide whether to um, preempt it. But it does her her failure to address her transformation from the radical activist into the self-professed independent centrist leaves the question, uh, is that sincere or was it just tactical and calculating to get ahead politically? And what does it mean if she's in the U.S. Senate? One of the questions that she's ducked is whether she would vote to confirm uh, Brett Kavanaugh to um, the um, U.S. Supreme Court. Um, probably given recent events, she will continue to, to duck that question. But, but what, what does it mean to be a Democratic centrist in this sharply divided partisan U.S. Senate? That's a question. I mean, you would have more confidence in the answer to that if she said, I made a transition. I no longer believe what I used to be- believe. Uh-huh. Uh, it's sincere. Here's my... Uh, road to Damascus experience, yeah, um, and you can count on it. Well, that would tell you something about what kind of a Democrat she's going to be. Um, without addressing that transformation experience, it leaves a question. Mm-hmm. And those that the Senate dynamic is an open an open seat. Jeff Flake's not seeking a reelection, so it's uh, two people that are. In the Congress, in the House of Representatives, are seeking a Senate seat. In the governor race, it's interesting because we've got a incumbent Republican, Doug Ducey, and a challenger, uh, David Garcia, the Democrat. And that 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 ch- dynamic is interesting to me in terms of messaging, but it's also kind of uh, lopsided because Ducey's got so much more money. Um, is I mean, in this case, is money just destiny in a campaign? Is it when you have this much of a of a financial lead? Is that is that pretty much seal the deal? In, in politics, the deal isn't sealed until the votes are are counted. And and if you win fifty five forty five, that's considered a landslide. But that means if only six percent of the people were to change had changed their mind, you would have had a different outcome. So I don't I don't want to. And, and and Garcia is claiming that he has this massive grassroots, grassroots campaign camp. that's that's going to overcome that. But reality check: um, there will be roughly two million Arizonans vote uh, in this general election. You can't reach two million people um, through grassroots activities. And Garcia has to overcome, as does Cinema, a Republican registration and turnout advantage that is fairly substantial. Um, so I do believe that Garcia has been severely um, set back uh, by not having the resources early in the general election cycle um, to um, develop his own messaging, and it's Ducey's messaging that. Uh, is dominating events. This is one of the reasons why I've long argued to move Arizona's primary uh, to June so that uh, a someone who wins a 
contested primary, would have time uh, to recover and raise money and 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 heal wounds uh, from the primary before we hit the general election, so we don't have such unfair, lopsided advantage from the guy. Yeah. I mean, Ducey did have a primary challenger, but one that didn't even qualify for clean elections until yeah. it was too late to spend any money. And oftentimes, you will want to have some time, too, to frame some new messages. The primary, you're trying to... You know, get the get the base of your party, but in the in the general, you're trying to pull more more moderate people. So sometimes, uh, depending on the race, you got to switch gears a little bit more forcefully. Haven't really seen that many or too many or any TV ads from Garcia. So we don't we don't really know if he's going to switch gears. He ran fairly hard hard left with uh, you know with with, with immigration and. Um, and uh, so it'll be interesting to see if maybe in the debates we'll see that um, whether he moderates more. Is he? You think it's even possible to moderate? Everything he said seems like he doesn't even want to moderate. That his goal is to get the turnout from people who haven't voted and and, and from the hard hard left, um, which the, is which is a stark difference between what Cinema's strategy has been. Yes, the it, and the what public messaging the Garcia campaign has been able to engage in, which is primarily press releases, um, he has stayed uh, within the um, progressive Bernie Sanders critique box that he uh, ran in in the primary. And paradoxically, that's one of the boxes that the Ducey campaign is trying to keep him within. In yeah. part, Ducey's, Ducey's messaging is twofold. Um, first, things are going really well in Arizona. So, Which every incumbent probably stresses when they're trying to get re-election. It, it, assuming, <laughs> assuming there's some things you can say that are going well. And in Arizona, there are quite a few things that, that you can say uh, are going well. And second, trying to keep Garcia in this liberal progressive box that Garcia seems to be willing to stay within. What's, con what's interestingly missing from Ducey's messaging is, here's what I'd like to do in a second term. Yeah. Um, and uh, Garcia hasn't forced him to that. I mean, Garcia's messaging, in addition to the Bernie Sanders critique, uh, is the big issue is education. I've got the background and experience on education. Uh, Ducey doesn't do anything on education until he's forced to. Yeah. Um, that could be a, a a powerful message if he could get anything around it, and if it wasn't um, uh, diminished uh, by the Bernie Sanders progressive critique of yeah. society and the economy, <laughs> and Ducey is corrupt, and and it's all rigged for the rich, and that's what and, Ducey and, is doing. And and Ducey's in for Trump, and I mean he's he's pinning Ducey to Trump more than Cinema is is pinning McSally on Trump, and, well, and that's a national has, race that would directly impact you know. Yes, I, I mean Cinema has stated that she's not running an anti-Trump yeah. campaign. Yeah, so totally, and, and totally different it, Yeah, strategies. and and I mean, it, I'm, I'm sure that she 
thinks that she can benefit from the anti-Trump backlash uh, in terms of turnout uh, without um, yeah, yeah, having yeah. to tie herself to it in a way that might um, reduce her ability to attract independents and crossover Republicans. Yeah. I would like to see both those messages, though, from the from the governor race, from you know, from Ducey, what what is your agenda, and and it'd be nice to to have you know if if Garcia is going to stay down by 10 or 12 and, and, and eventually losing, like a good thing to do would be to, to push on those issues so that if Ducey does win, he's maybe held accountable to something more specific on, on what you want to do. On the other side, I, w- I would like to see Garcia, I mean, present a plan, invest in ed for education is not going to be on the ballot. Um, all the Democrats right now are saying, I sign a pledge to fully fund education. But that's been a the problem hasn't been people wanting more money in education. The problem has been what what specific plan can we can we get past and 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 go and and a great opportunity right now that I think is being lost. Maybe it's in the works. Is what are some specific things that can be done to to fill the holes in the budget? I I from the beginning of this campaign thought that the only chance a Democrat had, whether it was Garcia or Farley or someone else, uh, was to run on a specific education funding plan uh, to say, it's time to fix this. Here's how I'll fix it. Here's specifically how I will fix it. So, and, and vote for me so that we've got a mandate to get this thing finally done. Yeah. Uh, Garcia hasn't come close. I mean, well, I, that, that's unfair. He, he did endorse and help circulate petitions for invest in ed. Now, I think that came far short of doing the job that's required, uh, which is to create an adequate funding source for education on an ongoing basis. Um, that's gone, uh, as you mentioned. So there's a void, and I think Garcia's only chance uh, – only path to victory is to fill that void with something that's compelling. Now, unfortunately, his instincts are in the wrong direction to come up with something um, that will have broad appeal because he's bought into the do it all by taxing the rich. And that plays into the Bernie Sanders critique, uh, which I think alienates Mm -hmm. um, independents and uh, eliminates the possibility of crossover Republicans. Yeah, and I, I think it's telling. I'm not aware of any Democrat candidates that have, that have run on invest in ed ideas. Of you know, it, it didn't pass the ballot. Why not? If you believed in it, why not run on? I'm going to propose a bill that's the exact same thing except fixing this indexing thing. But nobody, nobody has done that, which I think is pretty revealing as well. Well, let's uh, let's finish it there. Uh, one last talking point, though. We just watched Tiger Woods uh, win um, historic comeback uh, tournament. That was very. It was just cool seeing Tiger Woods back um, in his old form, winning. You know, one point is up by five, but ended up winning by winning by two. So uh, it was well, awesome to see that in his old form, in terms of his precision on the golf course. But a very different Tiger Woods in terms of his reaction to um, to winning 
uh, and the way he interacted with the crowds, the way he interacted um, with his colleagues. Uh, when Tiger used to win a tournament, there was never anybody waiting for him at the end. Several of, of um, the Except younger guys. Except for his golfers. first, I mean, his, his first, in 1997, that was very emotional. I have, I have memories of, you know, his dad giving him a... His family, his, his, but his colleagues... Oh, you mean his other were, players? ...were never there. Okay. And, and there was a passel of them that, that right. were waiting. And he hugged them, and he was very emotional. So I, I think in many ways... Um, more than Tiger Woods's golf game has been redeemed, uh, and uh, it, it was um, a moving experience, uh, a, a remarkable achievement. Um, I think both professionally and personally. Yeah, feel good, feel good comeback story. Well, well, we'll finish there. Thanks to everyone for listening. This is the Political Notebook podcast. Uh, you can subscribe to us if you haven't on uh, whatever app. Uh, that you use for listening to podcasts. Thank you very much.